As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, y'all. Thanks for listening to Killer Queens. Or KQ if you're nasty. Welcome to the show where two 90s loving country chicks gab about true crime and tell each other to talk to the hand because the face ain't listening. I'm Torella. And I'm Tori. And we're sisters who have always loved true crime and decided to turn that obsession into a show with a light take on the topic. Kind of like diet true crime, it's all the flavor of fewer calories. Mm. Now with our show, you'll get true crime, 90s nostalgia, and a few four-letter words sprinkled in. Because I always say that Polly Pockets and true crime go together like peas and carrots. Be sure to check out our case submission form on our website at killerqueenspodcast.com and follow us on social media and YouTube. Now grab your Sunny D, your Gushers, and your Thai Beanie Baby, and let's get into the episode. This episode contains discussion about child murder, child abuse, child sexual assault, and mild drug use. Listener discretion is advised. On a Saturday morning in February of 2002, Brenda and Damon Van Dam cooked breakfast in their San Diego home for themselves and their three children. Both of their boys came downstairs to eat, but their daughter didn't. When Brenda walked upstairs to her bedroom, she found her seven-year-old daughter's bed empty. Danielle Van Dam was gone. Less than a month later, her decomposed remains were found on a rural road. Because of the advanced stage of decomposition, they were unable to determine what her cause of death was. Even though they didn't have all the answers, police had already arrested a man for Danielle's murder before her body was even found. Despite DNA evidence linking Danielle to the man's house and RV, many speculate that the Van Damme's parents' quote, wild lifestyle led to their daughter's kidnapping and murder. Was Danielle the victim of a pre-planned abduction by a neighbor, or did her mom and dad's partying lead to her death? Hey, you guys. Welcome to Killer Queens. If you've never been here before, we want to give you just a little information about how the show is set up and what it's meant to accomplish. If you have been here before, welcome back. You can just use that handy skip ahead feature here if you want to. We want to give a message to friends and family of the victims. We know that there may be someone involved in the case who might listen one day, and we want you to know that our intention is to only bring awareness to this case. And while we do use personal stories in some instances and our own humor in order to tell the story in a way that listeners can relate, we have the utmost respect for victims and their families. We created Killer Queens to be a place where we can have open discussions about cases just like you would with friends. We are not investigators. We use information that is available to the public, such as documentaries, case files, and media coverage. Using this information, we intend to tell the story of what happened in each case that we cover. Now, will you agree with our interpretations or conclusions of each case? 
Well, heck no. Mm-mm. We each approach cases from different perspectives, life experiences, and beliefs that we already have in place. And sometimes these differences are slight, yet they can be wide enough to cause divide and upset some of those listening. We do our best to present the facts as we find them in our research, but we do bring our own perspectives to the case. We understand that you will too. We want you to know that this is a safe space to discuss differences in opinions in a civilized manner. Our style may not be your personal preference, and if that's the case, we know you'll be able to find one of the many other shows out there to tell the story the way you want to hear it. We can be grown-ups about it if you can. Now, if we are your cup of tea and you want even more KQ, you can join our Patreon and get access to our entire catalog of episodes ad-free and access to bonus episodes too. And I'll give you just a little hint if you're an ad skipper, um, but you still want the deals that we have from our sponsors each week, you can scroll down to the show notes and see what coupons we have available for you right down there. But you didn't hear it from us. Mm -mm, mm -mm, That's a pro tip, but I'll deny ever sharing it. Right. So all that being said, let's get into the story. Well... A lot of accusations being thrown a lot already. Of accusations, yeah. Yep. Um, coming hot right out the gate. We do really quickly uh want to give a hey girl thanks to Brittany Vinatieri for requesting the case. Yes, and thank you so much to Madison for writing this little baby up. Thank you, girl. All right, let's break the case down. But let us start at the beginning, and when we get to the end, we will stop. And who is the perfect person to bring us to the beginning? Our Lord and Savior, Hilary Duff. Yes. Let's go back, back to the beginning, back to when the earth, the sun, the stars all Danielle Nicole Van Dam was born on September 22, 1994, to Brenda and Damon Van Dam in Plano, Texas. So Danielle was the middle of three children. She had a brother, Dylan, who was two years younger, and another brother, Derek, who was two years older. Wow. Two years, two years, two years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, The Van Dams also had a Weimaraner dog named Layla. (gasps) That's your husband's biggest fear. It's his biggest fear. He thinks they're possessed by the devil. I want a Weimaraner. That is the dog I have wanted. Like, literally, I have dreamed about getting a Weimaraner since I was, like, young. Mm-hmm. And then I married somebody who's deathly afraid of them. How? <laughs> I don't know. And he loves dogs. It's not like he's afraid of all dogs. It's just these specific dogs. They, they, they spook have those, him. like, steely eyes. And I think they're beautiful. And he thinks they're horrifying. They are beautiful. But I will say this. I've had quite a few people in my life who have had Weimaraners. Great dogs. But you have to know how to take care of them. They're very, very rambunctious. Mm-hmm. Destructive mm-hmm. as puppies. Like, they, they take a lot of work. Yeah, that's what boarding school is for. We'll spend summers together. (laughs) Just kidding. Um, But they had a Weimaraner, and I think none of them were scared of her. And her name was Layla, and they loved her to bits and pieces. Yes. 
Danielle was seven years old and a second grader at Creekside Elementary. She was a creative little girl who loved coloring and drawing. Um, She was very imaginative. She played with dolls. She wrote in her journal. Like, she was one of those kids that could occupy herself and just play pretend. Hmm. I love it. Yeah. She was described by adults as a sweet, normal seven-year-old who enjoyed learning how to play the piano. Um, She was also very empathetic, and she cared very much for others. She either wanted to be a veterinarian or a teacher when she grew up. Her mom and dad described her as strong-headed but a good listener. She loved going to sleepovers and was known as a really well-rounded girl. Um, She was also a brownie in Girl Scouts and was excited to sell Girl Scout cookies with her mom. In many of the public pictures of Danielle, she's wearing a black tattoo choker necklace. I think you have the same one. I do. I've Um, got a couple just in case I lose one. Exactly. Always want to have that backup. But it's obvious she was a 90s girl. I mean, and Mm. that also puts, she's younger, was younger than us by a few years. Mm -hmm. But still in that same kind of, I don't know. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, for sure. And these kinds of cases that involve children being murdered are always, of course, so, so tragic and so sad. But to hear these details about she loved playing with dolls. She was excited to sell Girl Scout cookies. Like, it just really drives home just how young she was. Yeah, she's seven. She was a year older than, well— not quite a year older, I guess. My son is six, but if you ask, like, if he first meets you, he's like, I'm Ben. I'm practically seven. So he just has two more months. Exactly. Man. He's he's he really is practically seven. But like, mm-hmm. yeah, that puts into perspective. Just I don't know. It adds another layer, I guess, mm-hmm. of like that understanding of just how young she is. At a young age, the Van Dams moved from Texas to California into a two-story home in the Saber Springs neighborhood. Brenda worked as a stay-at-home mother, taking care of the three children, and Damon worked for a company called Qualcomm as an engineer. The couple seemed relatively quiet on the outside, but they definitely had a little bit of a wild streak in their private lives. Um, They admittedly had an open marriage, and they enjoyed the company of other couples. Both Brenda and Damon enjoyed going out, drinking, occasionally smoking the marijuana. Hmm. I think that's bad. I think that's bad. Just kidding. Mm. Uh, The couple had fun and enjoyed their adult lives, but their children were their number one priorities. And like, you guys, people are going to have a lot of shit to say about this. Yeah. And what you do, like, you know, even if you don't have an open relationship, you know, even if it's like you and your husband and you want to get wild with sex swings and shit while your kids are in bed, whose business is that? Nobody's business. None of that matters. The relevance here is going to be suspect list. That's Mm -hmm. just maybe additional people we need to look at, right? Did somebody have a vendetta or did some, you know, whatever. Fine. But being open sexually does not (laughs) make it your fault that your daughter is abducted. My God. Right. Absolutely. And I don't think that that is cause or reason to open the forum up for crucifying them. Mm-mm, mm-mm. And it doesn't make their children less of a priority. No. Because my guess is most parents continue to have sex after they have their children. 
I would think so. Some don't, I, maybe, but... Well, sure. I think we all, as people, probably know that at least however many siblings you have, your parents had the sex just the, just those many at times. At least that many times, yeah. No, that's it. There was no more sex had after that because that is yucky to think Yuck. about. Yuck. All jokes aside, yes. I mean, a healthy, loving marriage means that you hopefully are going to express that in a physical way if you want to. And I don't understand why it's even brought into question like, oh, well, they enjoyed sex. So it's their fault that their daughter was abducted and murdered. They're bad parents. They, you know, whatever. Like, no, that's absolutely not true. No. You can have a happen in sex life and you can also put your kids first. Yeah. Get over it. Change my mind. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, y'all. Did you know that we release an update all about us and what we're up to each week on our Patreon? It's called T to the Fourth Power Y, which is some time to talk to you, a nod to Not Another Teen Movie. And it's where we just gal pal with you about life, what we're watching, our love for Cracker Barrel Italian dressing. I mean, honestly, the sky's the limit. You never know what you're going to get, really. Mm -hmm. If you want to catch an episode without being a patron, you are in luck. Just head over to killerqueens.link slash T-T-T-T-Y. Okay, time to talk to you. Four T's and a Y. And you'll get to hear a full episode for free. And you can get every single regular release episode ad-free for as little as $3 a month. That's less than half the price of the coffee I get at Starbucks, so. I know, that's crazy. I know. What a deal. Mm-hmm. And for $10 a month, you get all that plus our other two Patreon-exclusive shows, Murder Mixtapes, which is a full bonus case each week. Recent cases are Tara Grinstead, Hannah Cornelius, and New York Body Snatchers, just to name a few. And you also get our other Patreon-exclusive show, Doc Jams, which is where we cover true crime documentaries episode by episode. We've done Don't Fuck With Cats. We've done Crime Scene on Netflix. They have Cecil Hotel and Times Square Killer. We've done The Jinx. We've done so many more. So be sure to head to killerqueens.link slash T-T-T-T-Y to get your free episode and hundreds more episodes to download right now and binge when you become a member of our Patreon community. On Friday, February 2nd, 2002, Daniel's teacher, Ruby, said that the school day was relatively normal. Daniel completed her assignments that day. She finished a personal narrative and a memory that they'd never forget. And Ruby said that she was surprised to read Daniel's because it was a sad story. It was about her grandmother's house being broken into. And when she asked Danielle about it, like, you know, why did you tell such a sad story? Ruby said that Danielle told her, well, it's, it's the truth. Like, I, it's a memory I'll never forget. She agreed that on her next assignment, she'd write about a happy memory, though. So about 30 minutes before school was dismissed that day, Ruby got a call from the office, and the secretary told her that Danielle was leaving early that day and needed to be sent with her belongings to the front office. And Ruby said that Danielle was surprised that she had absolutely no clue that she was being picked up early and why. When Danielle got to the office, she found her mother, Brenda, waiting to pick her up. She was also picking up Dylan and Derek so they could go get passport photos taken. And Damon went on a business trip he was doing business trips often for his work, and they had one coming up that was scheduled for two weeks in Italy, and he decided that he wanted to take the whole family. So Brenda brought the kids to a moto photo store, mm. got the pictures taken. Afterwards, they went to Staples, the post office, then they went to a nearby clothing store. 
Danielle needed an outfit for an upcoming father-daughter dance, and the boys needed a gift for a friend's birthday party. And the four of them got back to the house around 5.30 p.m. When Damon arrived home between 6 and 6.30, he found Brenda and the kids eating pizza for dinner. Around 8 p.m., two of Brenda's good friends, Denise and Barbara, came over. Brenda and her friends were planning on going out that night, but Brenda wasn't quite ready. So Denise and Barbara sat in the kitchen at the table. They talked to Damon and the kids. Danielle was writing in her notebook at the table. She was asking Brenda, or, uh, Denise and Barbara how to spell certain words or what they meant. And then finally, Brenda, Denise, and Barbara left the home and they headed to a nearby restaurant and bar called Dad's Cafe and Steakhouse. And they got there around 8.30 p.m. Around 10 p.m., Damon told the kids it was time for bed. That's late. It is late, yeah. Some people do. It's a Saturday or a Friday, though, so. Yeah, that's um, true. That's true. But I don't know. As a 34-year-old <laughs> person, <laughs> like, I struggle to make it to late? 10. Yeah. yeah. Dude, same. So around 10, it's time for bed. He sent them upstairs to start their bedtime routine. And when Damon made his way upstairs, he found found Danielle reading a book to her younger brother. Mm. Precious. After she finished, Damon put her to bed. And Danielle and her dad had a special bedtime routine that they did every night before bed. And Damon would give her this big hug and he would pretend that Danielle was like so strong that when she hugged him, he'd pass out. So he'd fall down on top of her and he would play dead and Danielle's just giggling the entire time. And this was their daddy-daughter bedtime ritual. Hmm. Once he'd tucked all the three kids in, Damon also went to bed. So back at the steakhouse, Brenda and her girlfriends are having a great time. The restaurant had a bar, it had a dance floor and games, so there was plenty to do there. And witnesses saw the group of women and said that they looked like they were having fun. Brenda was even, quote, dirty dancing with one of her neighbors. Well, I think it's funny that they called it dirty dancing. Dirty dancing. Yes. I've seen both movies. I know what that looks like. Oh, yeah. Also, like, again, get it, Brenda. Like, she is out and awake Mm -hmm. and actually doing stuff like like, I can't even get a night started at 8.30 anymore. That's too oh. late. I struggle. Okay, let's say that we were going to go out, right? Wouldn't happen. Wouldn't but let's happen, say we were yeah, going to. Right. And somebody was like, hey, we're going to get there around 8.30. I'd be like, ah, no, I don't even start a movie Mm-mm. at 8.30. No. Try 6 when- o'clock or it's not happening. Exactly. I don't think so. Like, I was talking to a friend of mine yesterday, and she, you know, she was like, oh my gosh, we need to get together. And I was like, absolutely, we do. I'm like, we can do, like, a drink and appetizers, and I want that to be around 530. (laughs) Exactly. That'd be great for me. Yeah, thank you. Because I don't get started late, so. No. But yeah, she's out. And I mean, she's got, she's got three kids. She's got a husband. But that did not stop her from having a fully formed life and there's there's nothing wrong with that yeah, there's nothing wrong love that for her like and yes they did this every week i think yes she had her like two best friends i don't know if they it was always the two best friends but right you know she's going she out with friends social and life yeah. yes absolutely there's nothing wrong with that there's nothing wrong with putting your family being your entire world either but i don't think that we should shame Mm-mm people for having other interests outside of just your kids and your husband. No, and also that's a good example to set for your children. So that they see that like, oh, mom has friends. Dad has friends. Like they go and do stuff with other people. They have an active social life. Like, yeah. And then also like once your kids are grown up and they move out of the house, then what? Right. Like, 
Yeah. Good for her. You have to have an, a whole new identity. It's like those friends that I'm sure everybody has had where their significant other has, becomes their entire life. And then if, God forbid, they break up, mm-hmm. then they're like, well, now what? I, I don't have any friends. I don't have anything to do. You know, like, yeah, it's just sad. But, uh, but Brenda did not have a problem in the social department. She was very, mm-hmm. very active. And, um, okay, so the three women, they're there, they're dancing. Brenda's dirty dancing. Mm-hmm. And then they finally left the bar around 1.50 a.m. And get it, girls, I don't know how you do it. Yeah. But they brought a few friends back with them. Brenda was the designated driver, and she drove the group back to the Van Dam home. And when they arrived, she noticed the alarm system was blinking, and she found the side door that connected the garage to the house open. So she closed it, and the alarm stopped blinking. Her friends came inside and they found out that Damon was still awake. So they hung out for a little bit and then guests left and Damon and Brenda went to sleep. Around 3.30 a.m., Damon woke up and heard the family's dog, Layla, whining. He got up to let her out and he found the back sliding door open. So he let Layla out to use the bathroom. And then when she came back in, he shut the door and he went back to bed. The next morning, which is Sunday the second or Saturday the second, Damon and Brenda were up cooking breakfast for the family. The kids were still asleep upstairs. Nobody was in a big hurry to really do anything. I mean, it's the weekend. Yeah. And they usually let the kids just wake up whenever. So Derek and Dylan came downstairs eventually, but Daniel didn't. The family ate breakfast and their daughter still hadn't come downstairs. Brenda went up to her daughter's room to find her bed empty and She's not thinking the worst at this point. She's like, oh, she she's probably either in the bathroom or in one of the brother's rooms. So she goes looking around, but Danielle was nowhere inside the house or in the yard. By 9.39 a.m., Brenda and Damon had called the San Diego Police Department to report their seven-year-old daughter missing. Police responded quickly and started their search around the Van Dam home, their yard, and the neighborhood. And it wasn't long before hundreds of volunteers had flooded the area and they were all searching for Danielle. The Danielle Recovery Center was set up at a nearby real estate agency, and volunteers could come by the recovery center to be given an assignment on where to search. So investigators are speaking to all of the Van Dam's neighbors and friends, but nobody had any idea where Danielle might be. And, you know, normally in a situation like this, the children are found pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Oh, I saw somebody playing outside. I went over and talked to them, you know? Yeah, like, there's a logical reason to why they were they went missing for however long, yeah. right? But at this point, they're not getting any of that result. Mm-hmm. So it's starting to get more and more serious. Um, there was one neighbor, though, that police were unable to get in touch with, and this is David Westerfield. So neighbors had seen him take his RV out that morning around 9.50 a.m. Detective Mo Parga with the San Diego Police Department was one of the first investigators on the scene. And during her neighborhood canvas, she stopped in front of Westerfield's home. She didn't know much about him at the time other than he lived alone. At the time, she knew he was out in his RV. And he was referred to by neighbors as Desert Dave because he took frequent trips to the desert. Why don't I have a nickname like that? Um, well, you do, Hori Tori. Okay, okay. I mean, if the shoe fits, you know what I mean. But that's what I'm saying. Yeah, it rhymes and um, it fits. <laughs> you know, it whatever. Hits all the boxes. What? Oh, whatever. <laughs> I want like a cooler nickname, not like a real nickname. Okay, laser there. <laughs> I like that. I didn't want to give you that one because it's a special one, but. <laughs> You're going to bitch about it. You can have laser. You know I'm going to bitch about it. Yeah. 
Um, all right. So one thing that Detective Parga noticed was that Desert Dave's yard was beautiful, like very well taken care of, very manicured. It's obvious that like he did the, it's like an all dad thing, it seems like, to yes. fucking care about your grass and stuff. Uh, well, and maybe this neighborhood had where it was like the yard of the week and you had the sign in your yard. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Andrew would be just honored. <laughs> to receive such an Booming with pride, yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> he very much cares about his grass. I'm like, it's grass. What God gave us whatever grass he gave us and we just let it grow and like we cut it. I don't, <laughs> why do we Actually, care the less grass, grass you have, the less you have to cut. So that's what I'm saying. Um, but Desert Dave was one of those guys and he just like super, super cared about his grass and all of his shrubberies and all of the landscaping stuff. But the weird thing is, you know, you can you can look at somebody's yard and tell when they take care of it, right? Yes. But there was a garden hose just laying across the grass. And if he's gone for like the weekend or for a few days, as was his custom on his desert trips, Detective Parga was like, eh, he wouldn't have done that. Because that hose laying across that grass is going to kill it the grass underneath. It's going to leave a mark. It's going to make your yard look yucky than fuck. So this is odd to me. This doesn't Mm. seem like somebody who's keeping up with their yard. And she said it kind of seemed like somebody used that hose in a hurry and then just left it there and got out of there like GTFO really fast. Listen, this is why they won't let me be on the force anymore, I think. I was never on the force, honestly. But um, this would be why, because if I saw that in somebody's yard, I'd be like, I don't blame them one bit for not putting that back. I don't, I wouldn't either. It's a whole thing. It is. You got to like, you got to roll it up. Yeah. And then it gets all kinked up and. Yeah. And then whatever water's left in, it drips on your toes. I don't like that. I don't like it. Mm -mm, mm -mm, mm -mm. No. I don't mess with no damn hoses. No, I leave the hoses where I, where not necessarily where I found them. I'll leave them where I <gasps> used them. And then I assume my husband will handle that later. Yeah. <laughs> um, so lucky to have you. I know. I know. Okay. But then that very moment, the garden hose is all she has, right? Mm. And he's left in his RV. And she said, I knew he was the guy. <laughs> I knew it's we were, she- I knew this was the killer. It's all she needs. So Detective Parga, her partner, and the other detectives kept a close watch on Westerfield's home until he got back home around 8.45 on Monday morning. As they spoke to him in his driveway, Detective Parga noticed he was sweating profusely, but it was a pretty cool morning. I mean, it's freaking February. Even in San Diego, it's going to be cool in the morning, you know? Mm. She's like, why the fuck are you just sweating so Sir much? sweats a lot. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it was just something else that stood out to her. She told him that every house in the area was being examined and they'd love to see his. So he invited the detectives in and told them more about himself and where he'd been. David Westerfield was a 50-year-old engineer who lived just a few houses away from the Van Dams. He was divorced and had two children in college, and he had no criminal record. He said that on Saturday morning, he'd taken his RV out around 9.50 a.m. This happened to be just after Brenda had called 911. He said that he'd then driven around the desert and beach, then stayed at a beach campground. He told the police he had planned on going to the desert and staying there, but he'd forgotten his wallet, so he'd stayed at the beach campground. He may have 
he may have not needed his wallet at the beach campground because he would have reserved something ahead of time. So that's why he's saying, it's possible that's why he's saying this, I could go here, but not there without a wallet. Westerfield said he then decided that the weather was too cold. Mm -hmm. So he came back home to find his wallet. This kind of sounds like Scott Peterson where he's like, well, it was too cold to golf. So I went fishing. Yeah. Um, Okay. He said he came back home to find his wallet and then he goes back to the desert. He didn't ever go to the desert, though. He was at the beach campground. Right, but then he went to the... Right. Then he went to the desert, yeah. But also, if he'd come back home, wouldn't the police have noticed that? Were they... Did, weren't they keeping a close eye on his home? That's what they said. Yeah. His multiple trips would have ultimately added up to over 500 miles with no spare time for anything else. Witnesses confirmed seeing Westerfield at the beach campground. However, another witness testified that he had seen Westerfield pull out his wallet at the desert campground. Which is it? Yeah, exactly. On Sunday morning, his RV got stuck in the sand and he had to call a tow truck to pull him out. Just a lot of work. A lot of work. Oh, my gosh. Driving to and fro just to get the wallet. Then then you get stuck. Like, I don't know if yeah, I do I'm sorry. It. If I had to drive like 200 miles to because I forgot my wallet, I would be like, and I'm home now. Yeah. Like, I'm not going. I'm not driving another 200 miles back out. Like, no. On the way back home Monday, Westerfield actually stopped by a local dry cleaner to drop off two comforters, two pillowcases, and a jacket. But when he went through all of his activities for the weekend, he didn't mention dropping that stuff off at a dry cleaner at all. As Westerfield led Detective Parga and her partner around his house, she noticed something strange in his bathroom. So she saw an impression in the window screen, which fit a person's face. It looked right down into the area where Danielle and her brothers played outside. So literally, like, somebody would, like, lean up against and, like, stretched the screen out. Because he's, like, craning his neck to see the kids playing. That is so creepy. It is creepy. I mean, are there other things that could cause that? I guess. But it would be weird to have that kind of an impression. And what I'm assuming when they mean by it would fit a person's face is it's just kind of, like, around something pushed Mm. out, you know? Yeah. Like, it's not like it's going to be, like, a perfect mold of somebody's facial features, right? Right. But it is a weird spot to have it. And he doesn't have a dog that would be like sticking his nose, you know, like... Like bust through it or something. Yeah, it's it's definitely weird. Surprisingly, Westerfield gave investigators permission to search his RV, but he did warn them, well, you know, I did clean it after my trip, which I always did. So it's been cleaned, but sure, have, have a look around it. Um, He also had a Toyota 4Runner in his garage, which had also been freshly cleaned inside and out. Now, listen, I'm not saying that people don't do this kind of thing where they go on vacation and they come back and immediately get to work on like putting all their things away and clean and all this kind of stuff. But I moved in at the end of May. My car still has shit in it (laughs) from the move. And we're in September right now. Yeah. Yeah. End of September. Like, I cannot be bothered. So this doesn't add up to me personally unless, like, something pressing has happened. You know what I mean? Like, where you, like, you've got a really bad situation or you want to cover it up. That makes more sense to me, you know? Yes. 
I feel like what what is kind of weird is, all right, so maybe you get back in your RV and you always clean it out. You know, you've been at the beach, you've been at the desert, there's sand and like whatever. So you just go ahead and clean it out and get it ready for the next trip or whatever. Sure. Why clean his forerunner out that quickly? I mean, unless it's like the sand in it or something. I don't, I don't know. But did he, but an RV. What, is it like a tow behind the truck RV? I don't think so. I think it's one that you actually drive. Now, I could be wrong, but is it a camper that you tow behind? I don't know. RV sounds to me, it's recreation, recreational vehicle, right? So that implies that it's got its own. Yeah, I Googled, do you drive do you drive an RV behind your car? And all the things that came up were, if you want to tow a vehicle behind your RV, here's what you need to uh, yeah. know. Yeah, okay. So he, there's so no reason like for him to have... like he would have driven... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're not RV experts. Yeah. We don't have one. Never have like, ever had one. Yeah. So it's just, I was thinking about that and I was like, well, why do you need to... I can understand, you know, like you, I still have an unpacked from when we went to the beach. So like... I'm not the kind of person who's going to come home and immediately put everything right where it's supposed to go. No, I'm going to immediately lay down and wallow in having to leave wherever I was and be sad about it. Yeah. Yeah. But I do know that some people do that. But what doesn't make sense to me is why would you need to clean your forerunner when, yeah, it seems like it, it didn't go anywhere. Yeah. Right. So... We've got the RV that's been cleaned, and we've got the Forerunner that's been cleaned, both as soon as he gets back, right? While a forensics team scoured his RV, he took and failed a polygraph test, and he had no explanation for Detective Parga as to why he failed the test. Take it or leave it. I don't care about the polygraph, but it is what happened. Um, Investigators place him under 24-hour surveillance. When the forensics team got inside of the RV, they found that his claim that he had cleaned it was a major understatement. Not only had he, you know, you're thinking like, I'm thinking like he vacuumed maybe the sand out, maybe he wiped down some of the surfaces or something. No. He steam cleaned the whole thing with bleach. Hmm. I don't think that's common. I don't, I have never done that. To no. anything. And the best I'll do is a Clorox wipe or a magic eraser. Exactly. And I just, I don't think that like, if you're coming back from a week, like, again, I'm not an RV expert, so I don't know the ins and outs of like how you're supposed to clean them or whatever, but I'm pretty sure you don't steam clean them with bleach every single week. No. That just seems overkill. Yeah. But fortunately, he did a pretty bad job. Inside the RV, they found several strands of long hair, drops of blood, a palm print, and a fingerprint above the bed. They also found orange and blue fibers inside the RV that they say matched fibers inside of Danielle's bedroom. I think they probably found fibers that looked similar. Were they trilobal? That's the best we can do. Fibers. Yeah. If they're not red trilobal fibers, get the fuck out of here with that. Yeah. Um, But they did say... You know, they found these fibers. They also found animal hairs that could have been a match to the Van Dam's dog. I feel like such a bonehead because whenever I was younger, oh my God, I would have been like, yeah, got him. Yeah. yeah. 
could have been a match. That match could yeah. have been a match. And I'm like, there mm-hmm. it is. I mean, smoking. Hello, what else yeah. do we need here? Smoking gun. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Like it also could have been any dog's hairs. You you didn't DNA test this shit and find a perfect match to Layla, the right. runner. Right. But anyway, that's this is evidence that they have collected, and this is evidence that they use in court. So. Brenda and Damon said that there was no reason for those fibers to be in his RV, that Danielle had never been in that vehicle. Um, So there's not, you know, a logical explanation. Like, oh, well, we're neighbors, and she goes over there and plays, and they play in the RV sometimes or whatever. Like, they're saying none of that has happened. We're not close with him. Our children don't go over to his house. None of our shit should be in any of his shit, basically. Mm -hmm. Inside his home, they found more hair in his bed and in his laundry. There were drops of blood also found on the clothing and bedding that he dropped off at the dry cleaners. That blood was confirmed to belong to Danielle Van Dam. And this is evidence that I can get behind. Exactly. That is... And even if she had played at his house before... It's not likely that she's bleeding on his bed. Right. And okay, let's play devil's advocate though. Let's say that she was. Let's say that there is a logical explanation for it. If David is the kind of person who will steam clean with bleach his RV when nobody has blood in it, according to him, mm-hmm. don't you think that if... He, she was playing and somehow got blood on his bed. There's no re... I'm just, you know, we'll go with me here. Mm-hmm. Um, don't you think he would have taken it when it happened? Right. Yeah. Yeah, because he she wouldn't have been... Even if... Yeah, even if she'd been there before, she wouldn't have been there that weekend. Why are we dropping it off now? Right. I mean, if he's the germaphobe yeah. that he's making himself out to be because he's got to steam clean everything with bleach, I don't yep. think that he'd just be like, well, I'll get to it later. Exactly. Yep. That's so true. In addition to the physical DNA that they found in his home and in his RV, investigators searched his computer. And what they found on his computer was a significant amount of child sexual abuse images. Mm. That's not helping your case, sir. No. None of it is, but... On February 22nd, David Westerfield was arrested by San Diego police and charged with kidnapping, possession of child sexual images, and murder. Though Danielle still hadn't been found, investigators felt confident that they weren't going to find her alive. Despite giving Westerfield ample opportunities to admit what had happened to Danielle and where she was, he continued to deny having any information or involvement in her disappearance. They offered him a plea deal. That would take the death penalty off the table in exchange for the location of Daniel's body. On February 27th, volunteers found the badly decomposed body of a child beneath a tree along a rural road. She was nude, missing some of her teeth, and wearing a Mickey or wearing Mickey Mouse earrings that were confirmed to belong to Danielle. The remains did, in fact, they were confirmed that they were Danielle. I mean. <sighs> This is like they offered him a plea deal and he was like, nope, 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 not going to do it. And then they were like, well, now deals off the table. We found her without you. Yeah. Like, I mean, that did not go well. Well, I mean, if you don't take an opportunity when it's presented to you, 
Yeah. Now he would say it's because he didn't do anything. Because he's innocent. And yeah. Yeah. And I believe that. I believe that if you are innocent, you shouldn't, I mean, you know, do whatever you got to do. But I've heard of other people who are like, no, I'm innocent and I'm not going to give anything, you know, I'm not going to take a plea deal and have to admit that I did something that I didn't do. I get that. Right. But that's not what we're dealing with here. No. You know what I'm saying? That's not what we're dealing with here. Also, like during his interviews at one point, he asked the police to leave him alone with their gun. (laughs) Like, hey, man. Hey, I have a quick favor to ask you. Um, can you get out of here? Okay. Get out of here, but leave your gun. And they were like, no. Why? (laughs) Why? Absolutely not. And at one point, the detective said, things are falling apart around you. And he said, they've already fallen apart. As far as I'm concerned, my life is over. The life that I had, the life that I was living is over. And then the detective says, but you can't blame anybody for that but yourself, Dave. And he says, and I have no problem with that. Um. That's literally the most information that he gave Mm. anybody. How frustrating, man. Like, (sighs) yeah. And like, and, you know, they said that's the closest he came to confessing to the murder. Right. Admitting guilt. Yeah. Something like that. But again, I mean, they, you know, they did give him the opportunity to tell them where she was and he didn't do that. Yeah. Um, They didn't give him the the opportunity to... Play with his gun. Well, and that's not fair. I mean, either. we saw what Pam Hupp did with a friggin' ballpoint pin. So yeah, exactly. They're like, "Are you like we? I'm um, sorry. We know what you're gonna do." With yeah, that. come on. I don't think so. Um, due to the advanced stage of decomposition of the remains, the medical examiner was unable to determine the cause of death, uh, whether Danielle had been sexually assaulted, or exactly how long she had been dead. Uh, Westerfield, of course, pleaded not guilty. His trial began on June 4th, 2002, just over four months after Danielle went missing. That's fast. Mm-hmm. That's really, really, really fast. I mean, like, I get that you have a right to a speedy trial, but is that enough time for your defense attorney to really put a defense together and invest, do their own investigation and yeah. go through all of the discovery? Like, It doesn't feel like it. It doesn't feel like enough time. Whether it was because they were pressed for time or what, his defense team put forth a pretty fucked up argument. They said, hey, all those child sex abuse images on David's computer, that wasn't him. It was his son. His son's 18 18 years old. He's the one that did it. (laughs) Can you even believe that? No. As his son, I would have... I mean, of course, I know he was pissed. I would... uh, Are seriously, you're going to throw me under the bus right now? Exactly. Like, look at what you've been downloading on your computer, and this is what you're going to... Oh, my gosh. So his son got on the stand, and he was like, absolutely, hell no, I did not download that shit. Um, So then the defense team was like, okay, 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 okay. Guys, do over. Forget that. Hang on, hang on, hang on. Here's what really happened. We said the other thing. We didn't mean it. Here's what really happened. He did download these images, okay? But here's why. He only did it 
in order to show them to Congress. He was going to take them and bring them to Congress and be like, did you know this stuff was on the internet? Look at this problem in the world. There is a problem with our internet. Uh, You guys need to fix this. Surely you're not aware that this stuff is on the internet. Here is what I found. Right. I have done all of the legwork for you guys. I went ahead and downloaded so many images so you don't have to. Mm-hmm, 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 Yeah. I can. You're welcome. Who, who signed off on that one? I mean... I'm hoping that it was one of those situations where the attorney was like, can I call you Desert Dave? Dave? Um... <laughs> this is a bad idea. And Dave is like, we're fucking doing it anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I hope that the attorney, his hands were tied on this one because that is just outrageously awful. Yeah, I was going to turn it over. Okay. 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 Um, Now, a large part of the defense team's argument was that Brenda and Damon's lifestyle led to their daughter's murder. No, it did not. Right. They said that because they brought other people into their lives and their home to party and to have sex, they likely introduced the kidnapper and murderer into their own home. Now, is that possible? Sure. I could bring a kidnapper and murderer into my home by having somebody come and install. So, you know, like you don't know everybody's history, you know, every single person that comes into your home. If I have a party here and a lot of people come and maybe, you know, some a friend invites a friend, you know, whatever. Like, sure, that can happen unbeknownst to you. But none of those people had her blood and her hair and her fingerprints on their um, comforters, in their RVs, in their homes. Right, in their cars. I don't know if there was anything, you know, but yeah, wherever, nobody had any of that. David did. Yeah, like, is it is it possible that, you know, they brought somebody in that has, you know, a criminal history that they didn't know about or dark tendencies or whatever? Like, sure, it's absolutely possible, but the physical evidence was found in your stuff. Yeah. So, like, what is... They didn't have a response to that, so they just had to deflect and be like, hope that the jury would be like, I can't believe they would have sex with other people and basically bring their emotions into it, you know, or like right. use like a sense of morals, quote well, unquote. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what loose morals they have? They did exactly. this to themselves. It's like- Exactly. Yeah. And what did we learn in, was it, um, I mean, we, I think we already knew this, but it was in a Keep Sweet, Pray, and Obey, the last episode when they were going through Warren Jeff's trial and the prosecutor was like, because that's what Warren Jeff's did too, he blamed the victim. And he's like, anytime you blame the victim, and her parents are victims here, anytime you blame the victim as part of your defense, that's not going to go over well. Mm -hmm. That does not go over well. And that's exactly what happened here. But they also said that Westerfield's rights were violated when he was arrested because he was interrogated for nine hours and not allowed to call a lawyer. He wasn't allowed to shower, eat, or sleep. They also said that there was no physical evidence that placed Westerfield inside the Van Dam home or any of his DNA on her body. Forget about all of her DNA and all of his stuff. But they can't place him. He didn't leave any DNA in her home. So it couldn't have been him. Had to have been somebody else. Right. 
right? Like, remember that case that we covered out of South Carolina where the guy pretended to be an Uber driver and killed this young woman and her blood was all over his car. And he was like, yeah, okay. Her blood is totally all over my car. Um, but my DNA isn't under her fingernails. So how do you explain that? Yeah. There, I feel like the defense team is like, aha, I gotcha. You can't explain that. Nope. Acquittal. Okay. Well, we don't have to because it still, it still places them together. And he says they weren't together. Right. You don't have a, you don't have a logical, plausible explanation for why you would have been together. And you didn't even say anything like, oh, she had a nosebleed. Like, come on. Right. Um, But they said the detectives had never even considered anyone other than Westerfield. And the judge ended up not allowing most of that interrogation into the trial because for the last like 45 minutes of it, he's asking for a lawyer and they don't get they don't get him one. They keep talking. Mm. So they kind of dick themselves over on that. I mean, he didn't really give much up in it anyway, but still. Right. The prosecution relied heavily on the forensic evidence found in Westerfield's home and RV, as well as the things that he dropped off at the laundromat. Okay, you guys, get ready for this shit. Westerfield's niece also testified about a time when she was seven years old. She was asleep, and David Westerfield came into her bedroom and started rubbing her teeth. Mm. She obviously freaked out, did not understand what was happening. This creeped her the hell out. She bit him, and she ran to tell her mother. Westerfield said, oh, I just went in there to check on her. <sighs> hey, you guys. Um, it's us again. Yay. It's us. We threw, we threw you for a loop on this one. <laughs> uh, so we know that a lot of you have been asking, like, WTF, where are episodes one through 44? And guess what? Now you can have them. So let's just remember, though, we need you to take a little caution here. We didn't know exactly what we were doing back then. And we started this podcast as just a fun thing to do as sisters. We had no idea that it would grow into this super awesome club with you guys. So what we're saying is the audio wasn't super amazing, but the content is 100% us just being us and talking about some true crime with 90s flair. Okay, so... Here are the details. You'll be able to access our, what we're calling OG episodes in your favorite podcast app through a private and custom RSS feed link. So to grab that, head over to killerqueens.link slash OG and snag episodes one through 44 today. That's killerqueens.link slash OG. Now, if there's a baby that's teething and you got to feel up inside of there to be like, oh, yep, totally have its tooth coming in. That's what mm-hmm. it is. That's why they're mm-hmm. drooling and fussy and running fever and all things. All right. That could work. You're not going to check on a seven-year-old who has all of their teeth or missing some, whatever. Why are you yeah. rubbing their teeth? No, that's not how you check on a sleeping kid. So like, you know, it's if I to wake go- them up and creep them the fuck out, but. Well, exactly. Like if your kid is sleeping or a kid and you're, they're in your care or whatever. And you go in their bedroom and you check on them and they're sleeping. You're like, oh, she's so sleeping. Um, everybody knows. Then you go over and rub their teeth for good measure. What? I never yeah. has that ever happened. And you are asking to get bit. Yeah. I feel like it's like things I never thought I'd have to say, but have to to my toddler. Like, don't, don't rub her teeth. Uh-huh. Yeah. 
Don't lick that. Don't, don't put, put that your, your brother's mouth. foot in your mouth. Like, yeah. Quit. yeah, stop it. Please don't rub my teeth. Yeah. So it's like in uh, 21 Jump Street, he's like, quit, don't, please, don't blow on me, son. Exactly. <laughs> quit being weird. Yeah, quit doing that shit. Oh my gosh. When Westerfield's taped accounts of where he'd traveled that weekend were played for the jurors, the prosecution pointed out that Westerfield used the term we rather than I several times. Freudian slipped there. What's going yeah. on? Uh, I mean, obviously, it's not evidence necessarily, but it is. It's interesting. It's interesting. On August 21st, 2002, David Westerfield was found guilty of first degree murder, kidnapping, and possession of child pornography, which is the actual uh, charge. He was sentenced to death. Westerfield has maintained his innocence throughout the trial and his imprisonment. Um, and Detective Parga has given her theory of what she believes happened. Now, that does not mean this is what happened. That means this is what she thinks happened based on the very little information that she has. Um, She said that on the Friday, the week before Danielle was killed, Brenda and her friends had gone to the same bar that they went to the following Friday. I, I can't find if Brenda confirms that she saw David Westerfield at the bar or if... The detective just thinks they saw each other. Well, I've heard accounts of people saying that Brenda was doing the dirty dancing with David Westerfield. Oh, no. I don't know. I I don't know if that's been confirmed by Brenda yeah. or David. Okay. I don't think David would give anything up, but I don't, I don't know, but that's what I have heard. So this is how, because I was wondering why she was positive that like they ran into each other. I was like, surely they did and somebody said something because that seems like a stretch to just make up. But, right. Um, she says that they saw each other out that night. Um, five days later on Wednesday, Brenda and Danielle had gone around the neighborhood to sell the Girl Scout cookies and one of their stops was at David Westerfield's house. He invited them in and told Brenda that he was disappointed that she hadn't introduced him to her friends when he'd seen her at the bar that Friday. And Brenda told him that she and her friends were planning on going to the same bar that Friday if she was able to get a babysitter for Danielle. And she told David Westerfield at that time that Damon and the boys were going out of town and he wouldn't be able to watch Danielle. So Danielle and a babysitter would be home alone that Friday night because she's going to go to the bar and he's out of town. Unbeknownst to David Westerfield, Damon and the boys had to cancel their trip. So he had stayed at home with the kids that night. And when Westerfield saw and danced with Brenda at the bar that night, he assumed that it was just the babysitter that was at home with Danielle and he left to carry out his plan. Parga believed it was pure luck and coincidence that Westerfield didn't wake the other three Van Dams up or alert the dog. He went in through the open side yard door that was admittedly accidentally left open by one of the friends who'd been there that evening, who on the stand 100% blamed herself during the trial. But guess what? I mean, and I can say this easier than it is to believe it, I'm sure. I know that because, you know, you can be like, no, it's not your fault, it's not your fault, but you still unfortunately sometimes carry that around as look at what I did, but... Yeah, it's so sad. If you accidentally go to bed and you don't lock your door, that does not mean that that's an invitation for somebody to come in and abduct your children, murder you, rape right. you. Like, that yeah. does not, that's not what that means. You yeah. should be able to leave shit unlocked on accident. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. The person whose fault it is, is the perpetrator. Mm -hmm. But, and I feel so awful that, you know, because it's like, also, if it's not your house, like, you don't think to lock it when you leave. Like, it was certainly nothing malicious on her part. She just forgot. Mm -hmm. But, oh, it's so sad. It is. So, he went in through that door. He carried Danielle back out of the house and into his house. He eventually put her in the back of his forerunner, where he transported her to where he stored his RV. Though none of this has been admitted to by David Westerfield, it does fit with the timeline. Um, And again, there is physical evidence of her being in the car, the RV, and his home. Right. So, yeah, this is some guesswork around it. But, but the bones of it seem to yeah, be— Yeah, not only does it fit with the timeline, it fits with, you know, where they did find physical evidence. Mm-hmm. Um, he is currently on death row in San Quentin State Prison. In 2019, he appealed a sentence, but the Supreme Court decided to uphold it. In response to his sentence, Brenda said, quote, Honestly, I feel the longer he's in the box, he's being tortured. I hate to say this as a person, but whatever is worse for him is better for me. Mm. So sad. I know. I was going to say, it's just so sad. Seven years old. I know. And like, if, you know, if she did interact with him socially at the bar, like, can you imagine the pit in her stomach of just like, because of course you don't, you never think your neighbor is going to murder your child. Mm -mm. (sighs) I can't imagine. And I mean, like we said earlier, like, I obviously do not believe and I, it's, I, it's not their fault for having, for enjoying to go out and have fun on the weekends responsibly. They were doing everything that they could responsibly, right? right? Yeah. But I hate that it was such a big part of the defense's argument uh-huh. that perhaps some of that creeped in. Yeah. Because hearing something like that has to make you feel some kind of way. Yeah, and I think um, as a parent, anything bad that happens to your child, you blame yourself for, you know, in some way, in in any type of way. Like, if they fall down and get hurt, you know, at daycare, you're like, well, if I I was able to stay home with him, he wouldn't have got hurt at daycare. You know, it's just like, you're going to blame yourself for everything anyway, but I do think it's, like, especially fucked up that his defense team blames his son for— the images that were found on his computer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Because, and that, you know, were they images of Danielle? No, but it definitely goes to, he has pedophilic tendencies. Well, and I mean, you can call the teeth rubbing whatever you want to, but that to me is sketchy on a good day, um, pedophilic mm-hmm. on a bad day. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Danielle was missing teeth when she should not have been missing teeth is concerning. Yeah. Does he have like some kind of a weird teeth fetish? I don't know. Yeah. I don't fuck. I, yeah. And around, you know, seven is around when kids start, you know, they lose teeth. Like Ben is practically seven, as we all know. Yes. He's lost two so far, but like, you know, that's when you start losing your teeth and you get your other, like, I don't know. Is he weird and like keep keep baby teeth? Like, I don't know. I just, That's a speculation, but I just feel like that age is prime for losing teeth, and mm-hmm. he's obviously got something going on with teeth. Why would you rub somebody's teeth? 
I can't. I just can't stress it enough. Because you know she has teeth. She's seven. You know she has them. Like, like you said, it's not like she's a baby and we're trying to figure out why she's fussing in her sleep or whatever. Like, yeah. Ugh. Mm -hmm. Gross. It is. gross. gross. But of course, we always want to know and love to hear what you guys think. Yeah. I would like to know, do you guys think that's that's enough for a conviction? Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. Because... You know, there's some evidence there, but there are some people who who believe that he's innocent and mm-hmm. believe that the Van Dams are to blame because of their wild and crazy lifestyle. I mean, yeah, and wild and crazy. I'm saying. Oh no, no. In quotes. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, but yeah, of course, let us know what you think, and let's talk this out. But of course, yeah. always in a very. Um, polite and respectful way. We want to keep the conversation Mm -hmm. open to everyone and make everybody feel respected and, um, and safe to talk about it. So yeah, snarky comments to each other will go away. And, um, I'm just going to go ahead and put it out there. Any snarky comments about the parents being to blame. I'm going to cut that shit out too. There you go. So there you go. Well, yeah, do that. We have a, um, an Instagram post every week for our Cases that drop, so follow us at, at KQ True Crime. Talk it out with us. Yeah. But thank you guys so much for listening. We love you, and we will catch you on the next episode. Bye. Bye. We'd love to hear your thoughts on this case. Connect with us on Instagram or Facebook to continue the conversation. Thanks for listening, and we will meet you back here next week. Bye. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Stephen's work on SoundCloud. Our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Visit us at KillerQueensPodcast.com for merch and other info about the show. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.